Good morning, my friends. My name is Kay Eck, and I serve, as Stan said, as the executive pastor and the director of missions and outreach here at Lover's Lane, and I'm so thankful um, to have this opportunity to be with you this morning. We're continuing on in our series, Meant for More, and if you've been with us in a part of it, this series has really been challenging me and my family to ask some questions. We've thought about what it means to move out of our little boxes, our kingdom of me, into a kingdom of God. We've, we've asked how we can go from me to we, where we're not just focusing on what we want, but what God wants in a we relationship. And then last week, we were challenged to consider how is God asking us to return gifts to God that are already God's. This morning, I want us to look at the question, how can we open ourselves up in community? How can we go from closed to open. And I came across this story this week, and I told my husband about it, and he said, Kay, you can't share that. But I'm going to anyway, because I think you guys can handle it. Is that okay with you? All right. It says this. Yvette Vickers, a former Playboy Playmate and B-movie star, best known for her role in Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, would have been 89 last August. But nobody knows exactly how old she was when she died. According to the Los Angeles coroner's report, she lay dead for the better part of a year before a neighbor and fellow actress, a woman named Susan Savage, noticed cobwebs and yellowing letters in her mailbox. So she reached through a broken window to unlock the door. She pushed past mounds of junk mail and clothing to get upstairs, where she found Vicar's body mummified near a heater that was still running. Her computer was on, too, and the glow was permeating the empty space. The Los Angeles Times posted a story headlined, Mummified Body of Former Playboy Playmate Yvette Vickers Found Dead in Her Benedict Canyon Home, which quickly went viral all over the internet. She had long been a horror movie icon, a symbol of Hollywood's capacity to exploit our most basic fears in the silliest of ways. Now she was an icon of a new and different kind of horror, our growing fear of loneliness. Certainly, she received much more attention in death than she did in the final years of her life. With no children, no religious group, and no immediate social circle of friends, she had begun as an elderly woman to look elsewhere for companionship. Savage later told the Los Angeles Magazine that she had searched Vicar's phone bills for clues about the life that led to such an end. In the months before her death, Vickers had made calls not to family or friends, but to distant fans who had found her through fan conventions on internet sites. That's the story. It's pretty bad, isn't it? It's, it's really one of the most tragic stories I've ever heard. Here is a woman who at one point was famous. I mean, she has her own Wikipedia page. You can go look. Well, forget about the Playboy part. She starred in the attack of the 50-foot woman. I bet we can guess the plot line of that. But no one, no one, not one single person was connected with her. Enough to try calling her, to notice that she wasn't around. Nobody went over to her home. Nobody brought her a meal. Nothing. She was just completely alone. And I think it's interesting that this article that I read said she didn't have any family, but also that she was not a part of a religious community. Because there's something about being part of a Christian community 
that means this should not happen. And that's where I want us to dive into today. Our culture is one that is increasingly connected through the internet. Um, Our culture teaches us uh, that we are to be independent people. We teach our children that they need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and make it happen on their own. But we forget sometimes that to be independent is a distinctly non-Christian thing because God created us to be dependent on God and dependent on the people in God's family. And I think sometimes it's easier for me to wrap my mind around, okay, I'm going to let myself depend on God, but having to depend on somebody else, that's a little harder. So I did some research this week, and I believe there are some significant reasons as to why many people are relationally impoverished. One, we are more mobile. People between the ages of 20 and 40 are young adults. Um, They move on average once every three years. So it's hard to make connections when you're not in one place very long. And then there's also this, these modern conveniences. You know, I have this garage door opener, and I can have my garage door of my house open before I'm even in the driveway. So I don't even have to sit in the driveway in case there's a neighbor around. I don't have to wave at them. I can just pull my car directly into the garage, close it, and not have to talk to anyone. But it's not like my neighbors are outside anyway because the air conditioner changed that. Um, Before the air conditioner, people were sitting on their porches. They were talking in the cool of the day. They were shooting the breeze together. But now I pull into my garage, I close the door, I go into my climate-controlled home, and if somebody's to call me on the phone, I don't actually have to pick it up because I have caller ID, and it tells me, do I want to talk to this person? Nah, they can send me a text if it's really important, right? Um, All of these modern conveniences have changed the way that we are connected to each other. People sit and they scroll and scroll on their phones through Facebook and Instagram, and we think we know about the other person, but actually, what we post on Facebook is all the happy stuff. We don't post any of the junk, any of the loneliness, and we feel like we're somehow connected, but we're not. There's this sense of relational poverty that I think is very real in our world today. And my friends, I don't think that's what God wants for us. I believe that God is calling us to more than that. I believe that God is calling us from being closed off, isolated, and protective of ourselves to open and connected and part of a community. And we find this need all throughout Scripture. If we go back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, we know that God creates the heavens and the earth and the sky and the sea and the animals, and he creates man. And he says this is very good. But then... He says, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to him. The human creation itself wasn't wasn't bad, but it was his aloneness that was the issue. And I don't want us to think about the scripture in terms of traditional marriage or to say that um, a mate will complete you. That's not what I want us to think about. I want us to think about the fact that God intentionally put us in relationship and connection with other people. Adam was just driving into his garage, closing the door and not talking to anyone. But when Eve came along, he had somebody to talk to, somebody to interact with, somebody to actually do life together with. 
And we know that sin entered the picture and the relationship with God and each other was broken, but that's not how God intended for us to live. We are meant for a life of more in community. And we're actually taught what more could look like in the book of Acts. You can turn with me in your pew Bibles if you'd like to, to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2 is a really important scripture for us. The whole chapter is. It starts off at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes um, to the disciples and the people who are gathered there. And everybody could understand everybody else's language. And one of my favorite lines in scripture um, says, they must be drunk. This, This can't really be happening. They must be drunk. But then Peter stands up. And remember, Jesus told Peter, I will build my church upon you, the rock, Peter. Jesus stands up and he says, they aren't drunk, it's only nine in the morning, which I find hilarious and another reason to read the Bible. Uh, But then Peter goes into this long um, sermon almost to remind them about the prophet Joel's words that I will bring my spirit upon the people. He reminds them of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection He reminds them of Jesus' miracles and what it means to be together. And he said, change your hearts. Be baptized in Jesus' name. And 3,000 people became Christians that day. And so at this point, that's where we read the words from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, which says this. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performs many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who had need of them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. And the Lord added to their community those who were being saved. Now, this is a picture of biblical community. This is the more that God wants for us. But sometimes when I read the scripture, I'm like, that sounds nice, but it's 2017. I don't know if that's really going to work, right? But this community was one that was centered on Jesus Christ. It wasn't centered on, a, on soccer teams or a neighborhood association. It wasn't centered on the Dallas Cowboys or a certain political party. This community was centered on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and they were so devoted to him, so devoted to what the apostles taught about Jesus that they couldn't help but exude community. And all of the believers, all of them, were together, and they had everything in common. This is really what love looks like. They sold their stuff so that no one went without. In other words, if you're in our family, you won't go without because family covers family and your family. Every day they ate with each other. They shared their prayers. So there seems to be a clue here for me. Maybe if we are devoted to these four things, that will result in greater unity. Maybe if we are devoted to the teachings of Jesus, if we are together in community, if we share meals together, I really like that one, and if we pray together, God can take us to a place of unity like never before. 
That doesn't mean that we will all think exactly alike or like the same sports teams or political party. It does mean that unity leads to sharing with one another, to understanding how what we have can benefit another. Unity means that no one is in need. No one goes without. Unity means that meals at table are shared frequently. Unity means that we praise God together. So Jesus, community, food, and prayers lead to unity of our stuff, our refrigerators, our homes, and our praises to God. When this level of unity happened, do you know what God did? The last scripture says that he added to their number daily. So if we're devoted, not halfway, not when it's just convenient, but if we're devoted to Jesus, to community, to food, and to prayers, we will become more unified and then attract more people to our community. Unity amongst this family of ours leads to more people being a part of it. And I don't know about you, but that's the greatest desire of my heart, is for more and more, or should we say all people, to be loved into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I think the question becomes, what am I devoted to? Would I say Jesus? Many of us would. Would we say our family? Many of us would. But are we also devoted to some other things? Do you struggle with being devoted to your bank account or to your DVR or finding your identity in what you make happen in your own accomplishments? Are you devoted to your job? I think that God is calling us to more. I think in order to be devoted, we have to move into, in some intentional ways. The early church was devoted to the apostles' teachings. This means they studied the scriptures and they talked about it together. They studied the life of Jesus. And this can happen for us in a lot of ways, through small groups, through Sunday school classes, through spiritual friendships and mentors. I am so thankful that God has allowed me to be a part of the same small group for over a decade now. I've been with these women for a long time. We've met all the time we meet. And at the beginning, when we first started meeting, we would say a prayer at the end that said, God, would you protect Sunday nights at 7.30 for us to continue meeting together? And since then, we have moved dates and times and locations, but God has protected our meeting together. And because of these relationships, I have found unity. I found women who I can bear my soul to and who do the same, and we pray for one another, and we walk with one another through the joys and the devastations of life. We study scripture, and we talk about how it applies to our life. But actually, research shows that the main thing people want from a small group is a place to process the issues of life. So if we surround ourselves with people who help us find how God is moving, then we win. You win. Another type of community is found in spiritual friendships. These are friends who can be, we can be honest with about our spiritual lives. These friendships are a two-way peer relationship in which we give and receive love and encouragement. If you're married, I hope that your spouse is a spiritual friend for you. I know that that's not always the case, but that's my prayer for you. But a spiritual friend or friends are people who we can ask to pray for you on a specific date when you have a doctor's appointment that you're worried about or a job interview that's making you nervous, and they actually will pray for you. 
I am blessed to meet with Reverend Amy Spohr, who is the pastor over at Christ Foundry, two or three times a month, and we just download our hearts with one another. I can tell her how God is teaching me through a difficult time or that I experience the Holy Spirit in some mind-blowing way and she doesn't think I'm crazy or that I'm just not doing well spiritually. I don't feel connected to God. I can tell her those things and she offers me love and encouragement and it's a gift. Another way we can learn about the teachings of Jesus and how it applies to our lives is to be a mentor or to seek out a mentor with whom we can offer and share wisdom. Many of you here know Jan Evans, who's a member here at Lover's Lane, and she has been a mentor for me for a number of years. And some of you might be thinking, well, Kay, I'm glad you've got this all figured out, but I walked in the door this morning feeling completely alone. And and you know, these relationships are risky and they're intentional because you bear your thoughts and your soul beyond just a surface level. Sometimes it's hard to find people that you just even want to hang out with, much less start sharing a bunch of stuff with. But I I believe that God has placed the people in your lives who need to be in your lives. So what would it look like for you to intentionally reach out to others, to join or to start a small group, or to find or be a mentor? If we look around, knowing that there's somebody here who came in lonely today, what would it look like for us to reach out to them? The apostles knew the importance of these types of relationships that help point people to Jesus. God knew from the Garden of Eden that we have to be in relationships in order to survive life. And the best part is that God calls us to eat together. The scripture tells us that they ate in their homes and they shared food with simplicity and gladness. Do you know that back in Jesus' day, if you were to sit down at table to have dinner with somebody, it was just like if you were to sleep next to someone in the same bed today. It, was, it brought that level of intimacy. Today, when we eat with somebody, something changes almost immediately. There's something sacred about what can happen around a dinner table. And it doesn't have to be extravagant. It's simple. And it can deepen relationships greatly, which leads to unity. And our friends like this have refrigerator rights. They can come to our house, they can open the refrigerator, get whatever they want, and it's okay. But it might be weird if I came to your house and just started making myself a ham and cheese sandwich if I've never been to your house before, right? You'd be like, get her out of here. Who do we need to be inviting to eat with? When we're devoted to community like this, it also means that flawed feet are welcome. I was reading about a guy this week who thinks his feet are hideous, that they're just gross and gnarly, and if he's hanging out at home, he's just wearing shorts, nothing else, and if somebody knocks on the door, his wife doesn't say, honey, go put a shirt on, somebody's at the door. She says, get shoes on your feet right now, somebody's at the door, your feet are gross. But when we're in community, when we're in authentic, intentional community, we know that we are to accept one another flawed feet and all. Romans 15:7 says, "Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you." When we're accepted and loved in the context of community, Paul says that this is what brings praises to God. 
When we love one another, this brings praises to God. When we serve one another, this brings praises to God. When our community is safe and accepting, this brings praises to God. When we can bring forth our flaws and not be judged, this it brings praises to God. And we can hear feedback about our struggles and sins when we know that it is said in love. There's this beautiful story in 2 Samuel chapter 9 about a man named Mephibosheth. He was the son of Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. And when Mephibosheth was five years old, both his father and his grandfather died at the Battle of Gilboa. So his nurse took Mephibosheth away, and in her haste to flee, she dropped him on the ground, and it resulted in him having two lame feet. And back in the day, anyone who was lame or crippled in any way was said to be a sinner. We know that that's not true. But at the time, people who were lame or crippled were completely rejected from society. But when David became king, the king of Israel, he sent for Mephibosheth, his best friend's son. David took Mephibosheth in like a son, guaranteed that he always had a seat at the king's table. David had mercy on him and showed him love because he was in community with his father. This is a powerful story for me because all of society rejected him. All of society rejected him. But a king accepted him, and he always had a seat at the king's table. And he was lame in both feet, and it didn't matter. And guess what? We all have crippled feet. We all have flawed feet. Every single one of us in this room has something that is flawed about us. But because of Jesus, we, you and me, we have a place at God's table, at the king's table. We come with our flawed feet, and we pull up a seat at the table, and we, and we have a place, and we can find love and grace and acceptance. And the best news is that there is room for everybody at the table. There is room for all people. This brings praises to God. So when we devote ourselves to the teaching of Jesus, to community, to food, to prayers— we become more unified and we make a place for more people. And Lover's Lane, I believe that that's what God is calling us to, that God is calling us to a life of more. So what would it look like if we were to adopt this formula from Acts chapter 2 for our lives and for our church? I think it would mean that nobody would die alone, but we would care for one another in community. I think it would mean that no one would not have enough to eat, because we would share our resources. It would mean that pastors wouldn't be the one, only ones visiting at hospitals and nursing homes because small groups are checking in with that person all the time. It would mean that every single one of us was connected to another in a group or a class or with a spiritual friend or mentor. It would mean that we have refrigerator rights and open garages and all of our flawed feet are welcome. This type of life, it's so rich and it's so satisfying. And those who don't know Jesus look on and they start asking questions like, why do these people love each other so much? They're all different. I mean, they really take care of one another. I don't, I don't understand what they believe, but I want to be a part of that. And suddenly Jesus' words come to life when he teaches us that everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so, my friends, as we make our commitments 
to support the ministry of Lover's Lane in 2018, I want to encourage you to think about how God is moving you from closed to open. How does God want to use your financial resources in 2018 to create places for relationship, to spread the love of Jesus to all people? How does God want to use your relationships with others so that there's room for more people to know about God? How does God want to use your prayers and your food and your flawed feet to bring praise to God's self? We are truly meant for more than a life of isolation. It is good to be with others in community. It is not good for us to be alone. And some of us I know in this room experience deep levels of spiritual poverty, but my prayer for you is that you would find people from this church to be in community with. It is good to share what we have. It is good for us to pray together because all of these things bring praises to our Lord. May you know the more that God desires for you. Let's pray. Gracious God, would you move us to more? Would you move us toward what it means to be the church, to love one another and to accept one another? God, I recognize that there are some people here this morning who are longing for connection. Would you help us to see who they are so that we might invite them to our groups and classes and friendships and tables? Would you help us to open our homes and our our fridges and our garages to those in need of connection? And God, would you help us be the church so full of your love that others want what we have? We ask these things in your holy and precious and resurrected name. Amen.